Center for Parent Youth Understanding and the CPYU Podcast Network, you're listening to The Word in Youth Ministry, a podcast by youth workers for youth workers, where we give insights, strategies, and helps for effectively teaching God's Word to our students. are on episode 14 of the Word in Youth Ministry podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kyle Hopsmith. I'm the pastor of student ministries at Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. And I'm here, like always, with my two friends, Matt and Linda. Matt, how's life in San Antonio, Texas today? It's sunny as always down in San Antonio. Still too hot. Like, I think our high is in the 90s. Um, and it is October 12th right now. So it's a little sad, but and Linda, I feel like we talk about the weather on every single episode, uh, but tell me you can beat that in, in Orlando, Florida today. You know, I think the high here is only 86 today, so I think Texas hey. might be hotter. Florida is mm. the place to be. Yeah, both I'm hotter than, than Northeast Ohio, where I find myself in Canfield, Ohio today. Um, but it's a beautiful day, and we hope that as you're listening to this, uh, no matter what the weather is, we're excited for this topic that we have today. As we think about the word in youth ministry and the heartbeat behind this podcast, uh, today we have a guest, Jonathan Holmes, and we're going to talk about student ministry and biblical counseling today. And we realize that when you hear the term biblical counseling, um, whether you're a youth worker listening to, listening to this or whether you're a parent, uh, we realize that a lot of different things might come to mind. But one of our goals for today as we interview Jonathan and uh, listen to him explain several things is that we just realize that our, our students are all at different places in life. They're all at different places in their walks with God, and they're all going through different things. And as youth workers, we have a wide and deep and, and large opportunity to help teach the Bible to them uh, wherever they find themselves. So Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So Jonathan is a friend of mine. He is the founder and executive director of Fieldstone Counseling. He's a pastor not far from here in Northeast Ohio at Parkside Church um, and on the board of directors of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Um, but Jonathan, I think more than that, uh, you're, you're more proud of your fact that you're, you're a husband, you're a dad of four girls, um, and just excited about what God's doing. So can, we, can you tell us a little bit about your family? And then also, before we jump in, a little bit about uh, the books that you just wrote that were just released recently. Absolutely. Well, thanks again so much for having me. It really is a pleasure. And yeah, the best part about me definitely is my family. So I've been married for 16 years uh, to my wife, Jennifer, who's a Northeast Ohio native. And uh, we have four daughters, uh, 12, 10, 8, and 6. This was uh, the second year that my daughter was in student ministry. So I'm just so thankful for all the work that you guys are doing. Um, my kids are in school. It's a full life. We're uh, busy, on the move most uh, weekdays and weeknights. And uh, one of the things we uh, love and enjoy doing is it's kind of like a little bit of a side gig, but we love, uh, we love cooking together. And so we have a family Instagram account called Homes and Daughters, H-O-L-M-E-S, Homes and Daughters. And we just cook just different meals, different cuisines throughout the week. And uh, we post the recipes. It's probably what I'm most known for, which is a good thing. So if it's something with food and family, then uh, I'm grateful for that. So uh, we love to cook. We obviously love to eat. We just love bringing people together around food. So uh, that's, that's, that's my family and food. Uh, the two books that I uh, co-authored with my friend Deepak Raju, who's at Capitol Hill, uh, the first book is called Rescue Plan, and the second book is called Rescue Skills. 
And uh, the first book is oriented towards just understanding sexual addiction, pornography addiction. And uh, we do a lot of work on different stages of life. So we talk about women in porn, men in porn, teens in porn, children in porn. And we try to lay out a little bit of an overarching uh, paradigm, but also just plan to help strugglers in the midst of it. And the second book is called Rescue Skills. And it's, uh, I would say, in some ways, kind of the, the, the companion volume to Rescue Plan, but it just really lays out essential skills for the helper. Uh, but then also the second half of the book lays out just essential skills for the struggler. And uh, so both books are helpful when read together. They're really aimed at just every, you know, every person in the pew that just is living life with uh, just other people together. So it's disciples, it's mentors, it's roommates, husbands, wives, parents. It's not, it's not for counselors, so don't be scared away at all. If you think these are just for counselors, they're really written and intended for a broad audience. Yeah, Jonathan, I'm so thankful that you shared uh, both ends of the spectrum there, both your family. I know I'm I'm nice. uh, a follower of your Instagram account and <laughs> am inspired, but uh, come up empty uh, in following that, but also just thankful for your work, uh, not only as a counselor, but in helping equip other counselors. Um, and you. again, we'll put the... Uh, We'll put a link to Fieldstone Counseling in the show notes. So I know that you guys do some virtual counseling and we um, we'll have information on that. Um, but let's jump into our conversation here with Jonathan today. Again, just remember that he's a counselor, but he's also a dad, uh, four girls um, in, um, in one of them in youth ministry, which yes. I think helps give a little bit of color here to the conversation that we're having. Mm -hmm. So Matt, why don't you get us started here with our first question? Yeah, thanks so much, Jonathan, for being on. Uh, I just have a, it, it's a simple question. It might not be a simple answer, but can you just talk to us about what it means or can you define biblical counseling for us? No, thank you, Matt. It, you know, it's an ambitious question and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll offer two answers. You know, there's a, a formal answer in the sense of biblical counseling, I would say is uh, a particular type of counseling within the broader umbrella of Christian counseling. So, uh, there's various schools of counseling, uh, Christian integration, spiritual formation, Christian psychology, and biblical counseling is kind of the formalized movement that got inaugurated uh, with Jay Adams in 1970s and is, you know, as it's grown and it's developed since then. Um, but, you know, for the average person, that's, that's not too much of a helpful definition, you know, in terms of thinking about what it is. And so I'd say, you know, at, at, its, at its simplest level, biblical counseling really aims to be conversational and personal in, in that it seeks to bring scripture to life. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of times when we think about preaching, uh, you know, a, a pastor is taking scripture and he is connecting it to people's lives. And in counseling, we simply are seeking to do the reverse. We, we are starting with people's lives. People come to us with their burdens, their struggles, their disappointments. And we seek to connect those to scripture. And it, it's a wonderful and a necessary work, but it's, it's intimate, it's compassionate, it's, uh, it, it's, it's conversational. Um, and so I would tell people oftentimes when we think about biblical counseling from that framework, uh, it's, it's really a work that's for all of us because we're all called to speak truth and love and to help build up the body of Christ. So when I'm talking to people or churches or organizations, that's, that's, I, I, try to, I try to set it at its most simplest and basic, uh, just so that people realize that this is a work for, for really everyone in the church. And Jonathan, when you think about that, about seeking to bring scripture to life, um, when we think about, uh, you know, the audience of this podcast, mainly being youth workers, we think about uh, what that means. 
Um, what has your experience been um, in counseling students? And also um, just what, what it's looked like as you've been, um, you know, doing a lot of equipping in the saying in this area about just equipping people to, to counsel students. Right. It, it's a it's a wonderful question, Kyle. You know, two things, a couple of things come to mind. The first of which is, I think, in so many ways, you and and all of the various youth workers who are represented as listeners and audience. I think, in many ways, you guys are the premier counselors. You know, in students' lives and in people's lives. In that, uh, assuming that the majority of your work is not preaching oriented on a Sunday, but just living life with students, going on retreats with students, doing Bible studies in small groups and going to soccer games and whatnot. That is, that really is the core of what I would think of uh, is counseling, right? When we think about the role that you guys play, you're, you're speaking to them, you're listening to them, you're asking wise questions. And so in many ways, I, I really want to learn from you and, and what you guys are doing because you do it so well. Um, you know, when we think about bringing scripture to life to students in particular, too, I think that students, at least in my experience, they are in many ways struggling with the exact same things that adults do, uh, maybe in a different context, maybe to a different severity or acuteness. But all of the different things that we struggle with as adults or as parents, married, older singles, in terms of depression or anxiety or relationships, I I find, at least in my experience, students are, are, are dealing with those things, if not to an even greater degree. And I think oftentimes they are looking to their youth workers, their small group leaders for practical help. Uh, they're a trusted source. Maybe they feel less threatening than a parent, uh, maybe less intimidating than a pastor. And so to talk to their youth worker is oftentimes, I think, one of the very first things, at least in my experience, that I find students doing. That's helpful. Yeah, let me piggyback off of something you said. Um, I love that idea of picturing biblical counseling as you you start with their life and then you're trying yeah. to bring scripture into yeah. that. Um, I think that's a, a great picture for uh, people in youth ministry to have in mind when they're just meeting with students because <laughs> we have so many times we're hanging out with students and you know they're telling us about whatever random things are going on in their life and the <laughs> sports and drama and whatever. And we, we want to be able to connect scripture to mm -hmm. what's going on in their lives. So yeah. when we have those kinds of one-on-one -on -one conversations with the students, um, how, how can we make sure that we're pointing our students to scriptural truths? Or um, right. let me ask it this way, like what, what are some common pitfalls we might want to avoid to make sure we're pointing them to the scriptures and not to worldly advice? Right. It's another good question, Linda. I, I would say, let me, let me set a broader, a broader thought for us, and then we'll kind of maybe unpack it together. I would say whenever we're thinking about, I mean, how do we, how do we seek to be word-centered and Christ-centered in our counsel and in our conversation? Well, I always want to learn from Christ himself, right? I want to have a keen eye to how does Christ, the wonderful counselor, how does he, how does he do life? How does he do counseling? And so when people ask me about, well, how do you do counseling? How can I learn about it? How can I seek to be word center, et cetera? I, I always love to just start with the gospels and just do a slow, but very, very deep and analytical read of how Christ moves and interacts with people. 
And I think one of the wonderful things that we see about Christ, sometimes he comes out and he will quote scripture directly, right? I mean, you see that in uh, certain sections where he'll quote from the Old Testament or he'll say, you know, thus it is written or it has been said or something like that where it's clear that he's quoting. But I would say more often than not, what we see Christ doing in counseling and in conversational ministry is is he aims to be personal and compassionate and to bring presence to these conversations. Uh, it's not formulaic. I think sometimes one of maybe the mistakes that we feel in counseling ministry, maybe in youth ministry, is that we have a few good verses that we just really love to go to, you know, for anxiety or porn or premarital sex or friendships. But you, when you read Christ in the Gospels, you just never get that sense uh, right, you you take two chapters like John three and John four, completely different people. One's a religious leader, highly schooled in, uh, in in everything about scripture in some ways, and then John four, the Samaritan woman who would have been completely out of Jesus's social uh, system and network. And what does he do? Well, he completes he completely takes two different approaches with both people, but still is obviously word centered. Right, he is still seeking to move towards them individually, and so. What I think it requires for all of us is that we're really steeped in God's word, right? That we're good students of uh, Christ's ministry and in realizing that scripture really is not designed to be used formulaically, right? If our goal in knowing and understanding how to, to use scripture, and again, this might answer your question about pitfalls, Linda, is I just find it's rarely effective to tell a student something from scripture as if it were a panacea, like this just one size fits all approach. Like, hey, you're struggling with anxiety. Well, let me just kind of drop this nugget of, you know, theological truth on you. I, some, sometimes in my work, I, I just, I, I really find that's effective. What I find effective is personal presence and compassion that seeks to really incarnate Christ's presence to the student. And again, I just would tell people, just watch Christ and his interactions. He is, he's really the one that we want to keep our eyes on for those types of interactions. That's such a, so beautifully said, Jonathan, I, I love the, um, yeah, that distinction that you made between just kind of quoting scripture at someone, but just kind of yeah. living scripture and let right. that living scripture kind of flow through you in, in your counseling sessions. Do you find, um, do you find that it's easy to, for you or does it take a little longer to kind of have the rapport necessary to kind of have some, have some of these harder conversations? Yeah. Great question, man. I would say this. Uh, it does take time to build rapport and to build trusting relationships. The number one indicator for the success of a therapeutic relationship is not your education. It's not your background. It's not any of those things. Uh, empirically, it's been proven that the number one indicator for success is a loving, trusting relationship between the therapist and client. And so you take that as an analog over into the world that all of you inhabit. I think, again, in so many ways, you all are primed for this type of relationship, you're engaged in their lives. They do trust you, I would think, to a certain degree. And to be able to take that relationship of trust and not manipulate it or take advantage of it, but to build on it and to build into it, I think, makes youth workers, uh, I think, in some ways, in a very enviable position for counselors. Um, that relationship of love and trust is absolutely critical. Skill is important for sure. I think it can develop over time, but I would definitely take the relationship of love and trust between a youth worker and a student than me coming in, swooping in, who has no knowledge of them. Um, you're going to be much more effective in a relationship like that. 
So it sounds like as well, one of the things that you, you're pushing at is just understanding as someone who's in that counseling role with a student, understanding my own personal emotional health in this moment. Yes. What are, yeah, help me to understand, like, what would some of the things that I need to be looking for just in my own, in my life as, as I'm thinking about loving and counseling a student? Like, yeah, what, yeah, if that question makes sense, I'm sure you can. Go yeah, yeah. Let, let me insert, and again, Matt, if I'm not if I'm not tracking with you, you can you can ask a clarifying question. But yeah, the the, the counselor's character, you know, your character, who you are before the Lord, I think is of utmost importance. Uh, Alistair often will tell us as a pastoral team. I think he's maybe quoting Derek Prime, but he says, you know, the best gift pastors give to their congregation is their holiness. And, and I would say maybe in a, in a distilled paraphrase way, I'd say, yeah, the best, the best gift that we give to our students is our own personal sanctification. It's a life that's lived in service and in devotion to the Lord. And so the counsel that we give, again, this goes to Linda's point, it's just not, you know, it's just not our own personal opinion and wisdom that we're trying to give. Uh, that might be helpful in some cases, but it's not going to be life-changing like Christ's words are. Um, our words might do something for a season. More often than not, they can be hurtful. But, 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 but Christ's words, those are the words that we want to be able to contextualize, to be able to communicate, and to be able to bring into conversation in a way that's going to minister grace and build people up. Jonathan, this is so helpful because I think for uh, the listeners and I know for Matt and Linda and myself, Sometimes we find ourselves in the trenches with students, ministering to them, uh, mm -hmm. celebrating the glorious moments of life with students, and then walking through the difficult moments. And sometimes we can wonder, not only is it worth it, but do I have anything to offer to these students? And I think mm -hmm. just as we think about this conversation, and uh, we're going to go to a break here shortly and then come back and ask some really practical questions uh, as we continue, is just to remind our listeners that as you minister to the students who God put before you, that God intentionally put them before you, that it's no accident mm -hmm. uh, that mm -hmm. the students, that their parents, that their mm -hmm. siblings are before you, and whether you feel like you're equipped or not. Uh, we can always be growing. We can always be reading and, and seeking training resources, um, but just to be who God created us to be. And I know for myself, I'm encouraged even in this conversation. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to um, end with a few practical questions uh, that I know that I've personally thought about with my own youth ministry, and, and I'm sure others have too. So let's go to a break, and then we'll, we'll end this conversation together. Hey, youth workers, this is Walt Mueller from CPYU. I want to encourage you to expand your ministry to parents by working to encourage, educate, and equip them to effectively nurture their kids in the faith in the midst of our rapidly changing youth culture. One of our most popular free resources, our Youth Culture Today Daily One Minute Podcast, is designed to help you do just that. You can find an archive of hundreds of episodes on our website at cpyu.org, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Expand your ministry to parents by pointing them to our Youth Culture Today podcast. We're back here on the Word and Youth Ministry with Jonathan Holmes, and I'm going to take us into some uh, more practical kind of on the ground questions for us. Um, so, uh, Jonathan, how might you biblically encourage some students who were struggling with anxiety and depression? And like you were kind of talking about before, try to do it in a way that doesn't seem trite or like a one size fits all answer. 
Yeah, great question. Anxiety and depression, you know, they are, are two issues that dominate mental health conversations and definitely for teens. 31% uh, of teens, so almost one in every three youth currently today struggle with some type of anxiety disorder. I would say with anxiety, you know, to not be trite, we want to we want to really ask good questions. We want to understand anxiety, not just as a spiritual experience, not just as an emotional experience, not just as a physical experience. So uh, when we lean too heavily physically, right, uh, you know, then the answer becomes just take a medication. Uh, if we lean too heavily spiritually, right, it might just be, we'll trust God more or Philippians 4.8. Um, and so to not be trite and to not risk simplifying a complex issue uh, we want to make sure that we ask good questions, that we wait for wise answers, and that uh, we really seek to move into the student's world to understand where they're coming from. Uh, depression depression's a little bit different than anxiety. Sometimes for people who are depressed, asking a lot of questions can seem like an interrogation, not an inquiry. And so with depressed students, I oftentimes find just doing everyday life with them coming alongside them, asking them to do various activities with you. I think question asking can still be a feature of care for students with depression, but maybe not in the same way that we might approach a student with anxiety. Jonathan, can you help us just, you know, on the ground, how do we make that distinction between someone? And I know we're obviously we can't do the clinical work, but can you give us some tips to help us yeah. understand those differences? Yeah, when, you know, when you're thinking about anxiety, you know, thinking about what is the normal experience of it feel like? And normally we talk about what's called the worry, anxiety, stress cycle. So a student will get worried. They'll have certain fears, maybe fears about grades, relationships, athletic performance, et cetera. And over time, those worries and fears can dominate, which leads oftentimes to anxiety. And that anxiety tends to be more of a mental, emotional dynamic, right? Where we begin to spiral out in our thoughts. We begin to imagine worst case scenarios. Uh, over time, physically, we're just not meant to handle large amounts of anxiety. And that anxiety leads to stress, which oftentimes impairs our body. And so helping students and being able to understand where they might be at on that cycle, on the worry, anxiety, stress cycle, are they exhibiting more physical symptoms of anxiety? Uh, does it tend to be more uh, cognitively based, right? Are they struggling with certain uh, thought patterns that are overwhelming or sticky or obsessive? Um, so when we're thinking about anxiety, just realizing that there are both spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical characteristics that attend to it. Um, on, the, on the depression side of things, right? We're trying to distinguish between, is this just everyday sadness? Is this just the result of living in a fallen world where there's uh, hardships and difficulties? Or are we at a spot where a student's depression or depressive-like symptoms are significantly or severely impairing their ability to do life, to go to school, to engage in relationships, to do things that they would normally enjoy? And so again, you know, with counseling, we want to we want to engage people around them. We want to have relationships with their parents when possible. Um, you know, typically more eyes tend to be the better on issues like this. But that, you know, that that's a little bit of a framework, I would say, in short, to kind of maybe help distinguish between those two issues. And Jonathan, as we think about uh, anxiety, I think what you what you just said at the end there is super helpful in terms of uh, helping having parents join these conversations that we're having with students. We realize that there's a different level of trust with parents, and sometimes students might come 
uh, to a youth worker or youth pastor with uh, something they're struggling with, trying to get a different perspective than mom and dad might have. But we realized that, uh, as we talked about in our introduction here, you are a counselor and a father of, of four girls, who uh, one of them being in youth ministry. How would you suggest we as youth workers kind of uh, balance the uh, weighing uh, confidentiality with the with the student, knowing that obviously if there's something we need to report, we do that, but helping mm -hmm. a student, but also keeping the parents in the loop, knowing that the parents spend more time with the students than we ever will. How, how would you suggest right. we balance that? Right. Well, Kyle, I'll, I'll offer some thoughts, I think, that have been helpful to us at Parkside and to Fieldstone, but obviously know that everybody's in a different context. Uh, the first thing I would say is that in general, what I would tend to find from parents, both in counseling professionally and at church, is that parents typically just want youth workers to fix their kids or want counselors to fix their kids. Uh, their kid has a problem. They don't like it. It's disturbing home life. So, you know, talk to your youth pastor, talk to a counselor. It's more of a handoff. It's not collaborative. And I would say in most cases, that's not going to be helpful. And, and understanding that dynamic then I think goes a long way in helping youth pastors, youth workers navigate parental relationships. I would say another thing to consider is that more often than not, parents are the problem, uh, not the student. Uh, when we've done research into anxiety, one of the number one reasons students will list for experiencing anxiety is their parent, not uh, expectations from their parent, um, academic desires for their children, athletic desires for their children, uh, helicopter parenting. There's been a number of uh, numerous different studies that have been done on this. Uh, that when parents tend to have over-concern for their child, that that ends up giving spillover anxiety to their child in many ways. So understanding that parents sometimes are allies, but sometimes they can be antagonists as well. And so navigating those relationships, I think, requires youth workers to have high degrees of emotional intelligence, uh, relational aptitudes. And so, you know, my encouragement typically with youth workers is develop those skills, uh, develop ways to be able to talk to students and to talk to parents. Um, you know, Kyle, your, your comment about confidentiality, I think is absolutely important. Um, so in the professional counseling setting, that looks different. Uh, where parents as guardians have access to that information as parents. Uh, but a lot of times we, we try to have conversations with parents that go something like this, you know, um, you know, in terms of being able to build a trusting relationship with your student, um, that means that they're going to share things that that probably are not going to be best shared with you. And in a desire to build that loving and trusting relationship, uh, what I will do is I'll always let you know if there's a reporting concern or if there's a physical safety concern. But I'd really love the opportunity to be able to build a loving and trusting relationship with your student. Um, a lot of times we'll ask ask for personal disclosure if we do need to talk to a parent. So maybe a student says something to us and we'll say something like, uh, would it be okay if we shared this with your mom or dad, or would you prefer that we keep this confidential between the two of us? Again, if it was a non-reporting issue or a non-life-threatening issue. Um, and other times we like to oftentimes give students options. We'll say, would you like to talk to your parents about this alone? Would you like me to talk to your parents about this alone? Or would you like both of us to go and talk to your parents about this? And so a lot of times with issues like cutting or suicide or other maybe high intensity issues, I'll always give teens an opportunity to, to have personal agency and voice uh, in those decisions. So in all three of those outcomes, a parent gets notified 
but the student gets personal agency and voice in terms of how to navigate that conversation. Yeah, that's super helpful because I think that as we continue to grow, even in this digital and uh, technology world that we live in, it even um, ramps things up even more in terms of what it looks like to communicate to people. And so this is helpful for us as youth workers to know how to balance uh, keeping things confidential with students and, and partnering with the parents. Uh, Matt, I know you have a follow-up about uh, how this all um, works together between uh, youth ministry, the church, and counseling centers and what that looks like. Yeah, Jonathan, can you help us to think through like what are some markers that we're looking for um, on two sides of the coin when it comes to seeking professional help? So when when should I say, you know, I think I need to enlist a, a counselor to help me, you know, a professional yeah. counselor. And then also what should I be looking for as someone in the local church when it comes to a counselor or counseling center? Right. Good question. I'd say you know, when we're looking to do that collaboration, again, we don't want to make the same mistake oftentimes that parents do, which is just do a handoff and fix. But, you know, we want to come alongside, we want to be a part of that individual's care. And so uh, I would say when youth workers are trying to make that determination of when they need to kind of bounce it up to the next level of competency or the next layer or skill, um, I, I would say, you know, some factors would go into it like this, you know, is there is there a clear physiological or mental or emotional dynamic to this that's not just more spiritually rooted or based, meaning is the particular struggles or behaviors that the student's exhibiting, um, could they benefit from professional counseling? Is it not just a question about, say, relationships or their faith that you would be well primed to answer? But again, in some of those cases, I would say, again, it's not just make a referral or a handoff, but hey, maybe we go together, right? Maybe we talk to your parents about seeking counseling together. Um, this, is a bit of a, this is a bit of a tangent too, but I, I'm assuming to some degree or hopefully that, that everyone listening also understands that youth workers are also mandatory reporters. And so I would say being fully aware and understanding your mandatory reporting status within your state and what your regulatory code is um, is of critical importance. So knowing uh, when you need to make a report, there's numerous different websites out there that you can uh, uh, that you can reach out to and that you can contact. But I would say that's one of the biggest concerns sometimes that I see when I work with youth pastors and youth workers is a lack of knowledge about your state's reporting guidelines when it comes to mandatory reporting. So that's that's a little bit of a side a side issue. But you know, in terms of vetting those counseling opportunities, I would say obviously you have a vested interest to want to send your student to a counselor that shares your faith, that shares your values, and that shares your priorities. Um, and so asking good questions, uh, finding people potentially within your own congregation that practice counseling, uh, either at a professional level or at a private level. Um, I do think for a lot, of, a lot of professional mental health practitioners, um, especially if they are licensed, uh, incorporating their faith is not something that they can do. Um, unless it's invited by the client. And so they're bound by certain guidelines of their licensure. And so uh, there might be some times where you need to refer to a professional counselor, but you just have to understand too that a professional counselor is not going to be opening up the Bible with your student. Um, that would be considered unethical. And so then that might lead you down some other paths. Is there some Christian counselors in my network? Are there some biblical counselors? Or is there another church in my area who has a lay counseling ministry or a biblical counseling center that I could access. 
Um, so just, I would say a lot of times I'm just encouraging youth workers, just be knowledgeable and be aware of what's in your area, who can refer to, who's uh, networked in your area. And oftentimes they're actually in your church. You know, just finding out who in your church is in some type of professional or paraprofessional caregiving role. Um, and again, it's a wonderful opportunity then to build relationships and even outside youth ministry in your church. Uh, this has all been super great, Jonathan. And obviously, mm. we're kind of just scratching the surface on so many yes. things that we could take years to talk about. I mean, people literally do years of schooling to learn this kind of stuff, yes. right? Um <laughs> But so I wanted to ask um, if you could point us to maybe a, a few resources that our listeners might do well to, to go find that, you know, might help them better understand, hey, what, what are some ways that I can make sure I'm connecting well with the students and connecting scripture to their lives? Um, maybe resources that might help them find like the good questions to ask that you were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. Are there kind of some, some ones that would come to mind for you? Yeah, let me get, let me give you a few. There's a wonderful book by Julie Lowe. Julie Lowe is a counselor at CCEF, and she's written a book called Building Bridges. Uh, it's a wonderful workbook that's incredibly practical. Uh, Julie Lowe is a licensed professional therapist who works with children and teens. The, the beauty of her book and her resources that it has just a number of uh, exercises and resources that you can literally just photocopy. <laughs> I mean, she, she explains what the exercise is, and, and then you're able to read up on it, how to implement it, and use it to literally build bridges with your student. Uh, that's one that comes to mind, excellent resource. Anything that Julie has written, I would commend. She has just released a mini book called Teens and Suicide, and so we know suicide is a huge issue in youth ministry, and uh, Julie has written a really helpful mini book on what kinds of questions to ask to address and assess suicidality. Um, another book that's more children and teen together uh, is called Caring for the Souls of Children, and so don't let ch children throw you off. It is going to be broad enough um, uh, to be used with teens and youth ministry, but that is a book edited by Amy Baker, and uh, I contributed a chapter in that book. So there's a number of different counselors who are represented, but it's a wonderful resource that's topic-based. So you would buy the whole book and uh, Amy and the other counselors are gonna give you some really helpful tools that are also developmentally based. So depending on what age group or what developmental stage the individual is at, just some different things to be aware of. And then there's a ton of different topics in the book. So suicide, depression, anxiety. I wrote a chapter on friendships, uh, helping you know children and teens navigate friendships. So that would be another uh, helpful book. The third book that's not about counseling per se, but it's a book by David Pallison, uh, and it's entitled How Does Sanctification Work? How does sanctification work? And it is produced by Crossway. And it is, it is short enough that it can be read in one sitting, but it is a book that you'll keep coming back to for a lifetime. It's uh, rich, it's word-centered, it's practical. But what David is going to do in that book is how do people change? How does the Lord work in people's lives? And that's going to be true of adults, singles, children, teens. So it's uh, quite all-purpose. Jonathan, thanks for mentioning those resources. And for our listeners, we'll have them in the show notes, realizing that some of you may be listening to this right now while driving or running or uh, whatever <laughs> you're doing, that uh, there will be information in the show notes uh, for those resources and other ones listed here today. Uh, I'm so thankful for this conversation we've been able to have uh, with Jonathan. And I just want to remind our listeners um, that as uh, we continue to, uh, we would just ask you to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, as this is episode number 14 of the Word and Youth Ministry podcast. 
Uh, we'd also love to hear from you. Any ideas you have for future episodes or even just feedback on this conversation today and other resources that might be helpful for youth workers. And you can contact us at the word in YM at cpyu.org. That's the word in YM at cpyu.org. And thanks again, Jonathan, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward uh, to more conversations in future episodes. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Word in Youth Ministry. To learn more about CPYU and the resources mentioned on today's podcast, visit us online at cpyu.org.